0: Okay. Uh, today, Bezrat Hashem will be learning Taf Yirches in Maseches We'll dedicate this, well, we're always dedicating, Andrew, was so touched when you dedicated your sim, uh, to Terev Chaim Sevin Lenowitz, that's all. Uh, and we'll also do for her first name a lady's mom. 91 years old, she's doing the racing bike, so uh, hopefully she'll get back on the bike uh, soon, better than before. Okay. We're in two dots, from the four lines from the bottom of Yudzai and base. Um, and Barry, remember what we were talking about? We were talking about the Shulchanos. Right. The Shulchanos. The Shulchan is uh it's the Shulchan that that's the uh school for Parnosa, right? School for Parnosa. Now we're gonna talk about multiple menoros, uh just like we talked about just now in, in the Mishnah, multiple Shulchanos. Uh really Moshe Rabbeinu made one of each. So when we see the diagram, we talk about the diagram as we will be talking about today, of where it fit, right, in the Hechal. Um then and then it's really referring to Moshe Urainu's one, and then all of the Shulchanos and menorahs that are alongside it obviously would be alongside that one special one. But so now we're talking about tani Marvin So still we're talking about sholchanos. We'll talk about the menorahs shortly. Now you might recall that earlier we said we quoted a source that there were that there were to the left and to the right of that shulchan. We're going to see. Um, we're going to turn very soon to eighteen a one right in Aleph, and there the article has a diagram of where everything fit right within within the ulam over there. Um, but the issue that we had before was that we have sukkim and sources that the shulchan must be on the north, and you see the diagrams in the art scroll do it the way we're used to it with n- due north on top. And so the shulchan over there is in the northern section of the heichal. And the problem was, whereas before we said that they had the shulchanos that, had shulchanos, that, shulchanos, that Shlomo HaMelech fashioned, that they were to the left and to the right. So we said, wait a minute, to the left and to the right, which orientation is it? If it's as you're walking in, let's say from the east, so then to the left and to the right would be north south. That can't be because the menorah has to be on the uh, the shulchan rather has to be on the north. It must be, we said yesterday, that to the left and to the right must have meant alongside in a line. As you're facing it from the south, looking due north, then you see it to the left and to the right. From that orientation, uh, all along a line on the northern sort of uh, uh, orientation of the of the Heichal. In other words, a line drawn in the northern portion of the Heichal would be where the Shulchanos would be lined up. That was how we entered yesterday. However, today, uh, we have a more explicit source that the uh, Shulchanos that were fashioned by Shlomo HaMalik were in fact uh, fashioned north and east which is going to be problematic and we're going to try to resolve that problem we're actually not going to succeed but that doesn't mean that we don't try so here we go Tani Tani four lines from the bottom Mizrach that the Shulchanos were, were, were uh, actually fashioned the ten Shulchanos of Shlomo HaMelech were to the Mizrach and to the Marev a ma'arav of the menorah in the, in the northern part of the of Moshe Rabbeinu. That makes sense because that's as we said before. They're oriented right as we look due north. They're oriented to the left to the right. That's okay. That's David Rebi. However, Rabbi Lazar. Oh my gosh. All right. Sorry. I'm sorry. The return of Goronowitz. Incredible. Incredible. Okay. Penny. Penny. Gross. He's uh, is is, is right? yeah. he's the greatest, Rabbi Gross. Okay, so we have our, our first Guranoit. Shout out to Rabbi Gross. So now, Rabbi, we're going to talk about your Pesach soon, but right now we're in the Shulchan. We're about to hit Yechesem So Rabbi Elazar bey Rabbi Shimon is going to argue here with Rabbi. He says, "Safon v'dar that they were placed long, lengthwise from north to south. Now, so the introduction with the introduction we said before, we're in trouble now as we said, because before we said right to left, we said, okay, well, it depends where you're oriented from. Right to left could be Mizrach Marav, that's okay. Problem is, Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon, is saying explicitly that, that the Shulchanos were oriented north-south, that's the problem. As Gemara articulates, Gemara says, Mizrach Marav, I can understand, Rabbi says, it goes east to west, Kulan, Rui, and all of the Shulchanas there were fit for service, right? In the sense that they were all in the north. That's what it means. Because we were told that it only, so to speak, works. It's only if it's situated in the north where it's supposed to be. However, says the Gemara Manda, with a question mark. If you're going to say, that it's north-south, you're going to say that the Shulchan is in the, is going to be, that there are going to be some Shulchanas that are going to be in the southern portion of the Ikha, that cannot be. So here, the Taklin Khadatim says something interesting and starts to, to darshan. It's the last one on the uh on on the page on your Zainamid base, and it says that this question is left unanswered. So sometimes in the Bavli, if a question was left unanswered, we say you Right? We don't know why Rebelazar Bishim says that it's north-south. It's not consistent with what we know to be the orientation of the Shulchan. However, the 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 Yishami just moves on. So as we turn to Yukhasimad Alif, the Yashami is just going to move on. We're learning to talk learn to, learn to since you left Gorana. This is what happens when you leave. Um, as uh and and doesn't really say take doesn't say anything just leaves it and moves on so what the Khadatin points out is that this discussion was in fact in the masachas yuma which will be Hashem learning starting next week and there it was much more involved over there it had more questions it had more analysis and says that now that we're in your in your shami it uh explains that one of the differences between your shami and bavli if you haven't noticed that the letters are smaller and that the editing is less and all of this another difference is if it's not lehalacha, then it's, it's not going to be discussed as much. So, because we know that this is a machloket between Rebbe and a Shimon, and because we know that in such a machloket we're going to like Rebbe anyway, so then the fact that we have a kasha and a Shimon doesn't really right, move the needle for us that much because it's Yerushalmi. Yerushalmi is more halachalamaisa, so it's going to spend less time discussing, and it's so amazing that Goranowitz is walking at this moment because Goranowitz is always harassing me, saying, why, well, why are we talking about this? Why does this matter? He's always trying to bring a pragmatic right, application of whatever it is that we're learning, and so that's a Yerushalmi approach. You should really be also learning not only ta- all of time, Babli, uh, you may, may you also be zocher to learn all of Talmud and Yerushalmi because in Yerushalmi when they have a question that's not halacha they just move on and that is this that is uh, different from the Babli where we tend to uh, to discuss more of, the, of an analysis even if it's a not halacha maisa okay so now we finally arrive at Chesam Adalph so at this point the Gemara says Tani we learned in a brisa and we're talking about now we're going to talk about the exact Location of Masha Beinah Shulchan in the Hechal. So it says like this. Uh, look at the look at the diagram first. So the entire thing together is, would be called like the Ulam, right? And if you'll notice the dimensions, so you're entering in, right, from the east would be in the right, just like we're used to, right, where due north is, is on top. And you have 40 Amos of the Heichal and then another 20 Amos of the Kaddish HaKadoshim. So the total, right, Ulam uh, with, as it were, over here, or really, it's the length, right? It's it's sixty amos deep, of which forty amos is the heichal. So we'll we'll call it. We'll break it into thirds, right? The first twenty amos as you walk in uh, is, and then the second twenty amos. So that would be like the first uh, half court, right, between the entrance and the middle of the uh, portion that we call the heichal. That's twenty amos, and right in that middle of there, you'll see that's where it says the Mizbehazov, where it says in the article, golden altar. That's sort of like a half court um, of the hechal, uh so to speak. And then another 20 amas until the edge of the paroches, right, of the Kodesh HaKadashim, and then another 20 amas. So then you have the, it's divided really essentially into thirds, where two thirds of it are the heichal. Okay. So that becomes very significant here when we talk about the placement of the uh, of the various Kalim inside. So let's see now. A menorah, satani. So it says, Hashulchan ayanassun, not the menorah, that's taken out uh, by the editing, and because we're talking about the Shulchan now, we're going to be talking about the menorah soon. So Hashulchan ayanassun, machatsi the l'ibifnim. So now we know what it means here when it says, machatsi the l'ibifnim. It means the inner half means it's in the middle third. It's just inside, right, the um, the half court, so to speak, just a little bit more inside than where the um, the Hazov would be. That is where the Shulchan is oriented as far as east-west. And then, as far as north-south, When you look at the diagram, you see that the table almost is at the northern edge of the Heichal, so it's an exact placement. It's exactly two and a half Amos, um, just, just away from that northern edge of the Heichal. Menorah connect the Menorah the Bedarum. And so the um, Farshim explained that what the Taqlan Hadatim explains that the Menorah against the Bedarum just means that similarly, just like the table, just like the Shulchan is going to be, right, just at the edge of the beginning of the middle third, just inside the Mizbeah Hazav in terms of east-west, and then two and a half Amos from the northern edge, the Menorah is going to be also just inside where the Mizbeh Hazav is, and two and a half Amos uh, off north of the southern edge, that's where the Menorah is. Okay, and then where is the Mizbeh Hazav oriented? Basically at mid in this context, it doesn't mean the middle of the Ulam, but the middle of the Heichal, which is the first two thirds of the Ulam as you walk in. Uh, so 20 amos in, and and it divides the, right, it's like a half court dividing that Heichal, when he means the Bayis, he means heichal, divides in half. However, it's a little bit off-center, a little bit um, to the, uh, towards in this case it means towards the entrance so a little bit towards the east so it's just east of being in the middle court kima just means like a little bit And um, however they're all placed uh, a little bit inside of the first third so what's going on here it means that the Mizbeach which well the, table, the, the Shulchan and the Menorah certainly were a little bit more inside of of the halfway point between uh, the halfway point of the Heichal it means that the Mizbeach even though it's a little bit oriented a little towards the entrance there's all of them have a portion which is in the middle third of the Ulam meaning that second half the inner half of the Heichal, um and all of them have a portion that's in that inner half closer to the Kodesh Kedashim, uh at least a portion of it fine so that is the orientation just as you see in the diagram over here on 18A1 Okay, now, says the Barisa, now, we just talked about the Shulchanos, now we're going to talk about the same uh, kind of discussion, but regarding the Menorahs, as follows. Eser Menorahs, Aser Shlomo, so Shlomo, just like he made 10 Shulchanos, he also made 10 Menorahs. Mind you, there were uh 13 of the Shulchanos, one of them was Musharbein, and two of them were made by Shlomo, uh, 10 of them, rather, by Shlomo. Shneemar, V'yas, it's Pasuk, V'yas, a Menorahs, of Eser, Kemish, Okay, so, so those P'sukim are in Dever Yomim. And why did Shlom Shl- Shl- Davka make 10 of each is, is a good question. And Farshim explained. The um, article quotes the message Shek- Chachma that explains what does the 10 represent, right? Because as we said, there were 13. Uh, why did he make Dafka 10? So that's a good question. Number 10 certainly is um, very prominent. Uh, we just spoke with, just within the last few days about the Aserah of Debros. Um, we also spoke, I don't know if you uh, picked up on it. I just sort of glossed over it and we talked about the Shulchanis yesterday and we talked about the meat not spoiling. Uh, one, of the, one of the things enumerated in Pirkei Avos was the 10 miracles that took place in the ice. And one of those was that the meat didn't spoil. If you remember correctly, um, you know, Goren. So I don't know if you learned yesterday, but the meat didn't spoil on the basis And still, we use marble tables to cool off. Right, these meats—they weren't coming out of the freezer; they were coming straight out of the shepherd animal. Body temperature—it could be warm, and it would be uh, anything that you put on these baths can't be spoiled and can't stink. As we will see, you don't put the skins on uh, if you're going to if you're not going to be burning everything. And so, one of the miracles was that the meat never spoiled. And the Maras, well, if the meat never spoiled, um, then why are we so worried in using these marble tables? So we said because basically, ain't chima alanes, right? We don't take chances. We still have to do our Heshtadlis. Be that as it may. That's, that, that's why I said, I threw it in for you from yesterday, Muslim. even though it was pressed for time, because I, I wanted you to be able to hear that musr. Now, the ten menorahs, however, uh, so, they, whatever, regardless of what they represent, the question is, how are they oriented? So we say, uh, right, so the Pasuk says that they were right and left, five and five. That was the source we had yesterday regarding the Shulchanah as well. And so we're going to have the same question and resolve it the same way that we did yesterday, as follows. Says the Gemara, in Taymar Chamesh Witzaph and Chamesh if to the right and to the left means north to south, that can't be. It says the Gemarvaloein Amnorak Shere El Badarim, right? Just like the Shulchan is supposed to be in the north portion, the Menorah is supposed to be in the southern portion. Shanimar, because the Passock says, Vesam Menorah, Nocha Chashulchan, Al hamishkan Taymanah, right? Taymanah means on the south side. Okay, so the Passock says that the Menorah has to be in the south, so what does it mean when it's left and right. It must mean not left and right as you walk in, not not a line along the north and south, but rather, meaning along the southern side, right, it's going to be oriented, just a line along the southern portion of the Heichal. Says, so we know that there were a lot of menorahs there, but why we have represented over there one, that was uh, Ashita, that we only lit the menorah of Moshe Rabbeinu Shunemar because it says in the of Pesach, that the menorahs has aav in the singular, the golden menorah and all its lights, we would light each night. Well, the fact that it says menorah in the singular implies that they're only lighting one. And if they're only lighting one, you better believe it'll be the one of Moshe Rabbeinu. However, that's only the first shita. Rabbi Yosi b'Reb Yehuda Aimer, a machlok is here. He holds that we lit all the menorahs. Why? Because we have a pasuk that sounds like it's talking about menorahs in the plural. The pasuk in Devarim says, Sagur. ve'shaminoros." The menorahs in the lamps, they would light them as was lifnei right in front of that partition. Right, Zav Sagur, closed gold. Okay, so, closed gold is referring to the way the menorah was fashioned. So, that is, in fact, uh, a stira. Was there, did we light all of them? Well, it's a machlokas. Did we light all of them or just one of them? Uh, the psukim suggests it could be one or the other. The next pasuk, there uh, in Divir Yamim says, once we're mentioning the zahav, it sounds, it says the pasuk, kilu That there was so much gold, lamps of gold, tongues of gold, the finish was gold. So, it sounds like the, the, the Gemara here is saying that it took all of the gold reserves of shlomo melach to, to produce this menorah. Uh, it may, interestingly, there's a safer about all this, avodas that was produced by somebody uh, very contemporary, famous, that you may have heard of. His name is Rav Chaim Kanievsky. He is, in fact, mentioned many times over here by the art squirrel uh, in an in, in explanation. He had a, a, a lot of parish on this. The one parish I did not uh, quote, and I should, it's my fault, hopefully next time around, uh, will be Rav Yaakov Whale, who is actually my Rebbe in Hank, one of my Rebbe in Hank. Um, never had him as a main rabbi, but he did write a sefer on Shkolem. I remember when it came out, I said to myself, well, that's one sefer I'll probably never need. But sure enough, we're learning Shkolem, and I've heard that the is an amazing sefer. So, anyways, what Ruchem Kanyevsky, I bring it up, because over here, he says, not literally. The, 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 uh, over here, not literally, the Zav Shlomo. So, so, so by the way, just like uh Hashem, I was to actually need Rabbi Yaakov I'm going to give myself a bracha that next time around, or maybe even before the next time around, I'll get to get through the entire sefer. But, anyways... Um, on on Shkalem that he wrote, but Reb Kanievsky wrote a sefer about this, and he wrote that this one. He says that all of the gold of Shlomo Melech was depleted. Um, it's not literal; it doesn't mean that all of it was depleted because we have another source that suggests that that gold was never depleted. That that it was so plentiful at the time of Shlomo with there was so much prosperity that it was like not even that valuable. So it can't be that it was all depleted because then it would have been valuable, supply and demand, etc. Uh, so it just means that it took a lot of gold. That's what it must mean. It's a kind of right uh, guzma anyway. Okay, be that as it may. That was how the menorahs were processed out of gold, to which in the Gemara says, Tani Rav Yehudah B'Shem V'Rasi, Hayashlom Annoite El Elav Kikari Zahav, how was this gold fashion, it would take a thousand kikar of gold, which is a lot, and I guess the way you purify the gold is you put them in this crucible and, and remove them, put them in the crucible and remove them. When you do so, usually it loses weight. So it literally would reduce it so it's so pure that a thousand kikars becomes one. That is quite a process. What was he doing this for? That's to purify it. Just like we in the, in the crucible of Mitzrayim are purified as a nation. Here the gold in the crucible um, of the fire is purified. However, there, there's a different price that says, Tanya, Amar Rabbi Yoisi that so we have this one source that says that Shlomo Melach was uh, sticking it in a thousand times to reduce it to one kikar. And then we have another source that says that whenever we brought it, we only did not do it a thousand times, but it 80 times, but it wasn't reduced at all. So was the gold purified by reduction or not? That's the question. The answer is, says until it reaches maximum purity, it does lose a lot. It loses so much that a thousand kikar can in fact uh, be reduced to one. However, mean dukaya mal right? Once it reaches the maximum amount of purity, lochas At that point, you can stick it in as many times as you want. It's pure, 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 and it can no longer lose anything uh, in the process of of putting it in the crucible. So fascinating, the gold and of the menorah and the positioning may it all become halacha very soon. Okay, we find ourselves on yechesam and halacha dalech, and we say the following uh, at the still obnoxious time at five fifty seven a.m. So we have a little bit of time. So we go like this: halacha There were Thirteen, as we mentioned already, Shafaris and the Mikdash were getting back to those collection chests. They were, right, they were so called Shafaris because of their shape, so, to avoid theft. They were narrow on the top. The And this is what was written on them. We're going to explain what all this means. So first, Tiklin Khadatin, new great name for a parish. Tiklin Atikin, old Shkhalim, um, Kinin. Kinin means pairs of birds, as we will see from Seches Kinin. Vigozle Ola, young Ola birds, we'll discuss what this means. him wood. Uh, obviously some of these things are self-explanatory, what you put there, but we'll see. Levona is for the Levona, Zav Lechaparis, gold uh, for the service vessels, we'll see. And she shall. so that is the first list, the seven of them. And then another Shishala double another six remaining, were for the Korbanos Ndaba, we'll explain what all of that means as well. Now uh, this is kind of like, all of what's going in here is essentially money, right? Um, but the money is uh, apportioned, right, for different things. So I don't know. Yeah, like, uh, this is most reminiscent of when you have the tzedakahs laid out, right, um, Purim time. Uh, every organization will put out their pushka. Let's say this is very common, and, and then you sort of like give, it's written on the actual pushka, what the, right, what, what that is uh, for, what the collection is being for. So you have your Hatzalah, and you have your Anie, uh, Ircha and you have your different, uh, the schools, and the different kinds of, so here, so it's for different parts of the basic mikdash, and, we'll and we'll understand why they had the different ones, and what was the function of each over here. So, the mission continues, it shana, shana. So, what does it mean, Tiklin Charetin? So it means a new Shkalem. In other words, as discussed in the beginning of the Third parak and alluded to in the very first mission of shkolem, right? they would bring, a few times a year, they would announce, and they would bring the, she- the Shekel. So, that's why I think it's a very clever name for the, for the parish, Tiklin Charetin, because he's saying, this is the new Shekel, right? I'm giving you, I'm explaining Maseche Shkalem to you. Very clever. Anyways, and it has the word Shkalem because, you know, you interchange this, uh, uh, Taklin is Shkalem, right? Because you, you change the, ta- the tafk for, the Shin. If you change, change the tops to Shin's here, it's shkalim chadashim. But anyway, taklim chadatin is the is is what you uh, used, and you and you would take off truma off of the new shkalim that came whenever they came for this year. But there were instances where people were not able to bring right the shkalim, um, and so they would do a makeup. They would bring the shkalim for last year, this year, and that is what they call atikin. That's the taklen atikin. Says the mishpah Atikin nishalo hevi shokel l'shana haba. Those who didn't bring last year is therefore going to give the shekel the following year. And for that, we're going to have a separate kushka because we're going to use that money for a separate thing instead of karbanos and the current Vedicabite, We're going to use it for the basic city needs of Yerushalayim and the roads and the buildings. Um, and so it's used for a different thing because again, it's not going to be part of the same truma because it's a separate collection. That was re- that truma was really only indicated for the collection of the shalom given on time. Now you can make it up presumably, and um, however, when you do make it up, it's not used for the same thing. It's earmarked for a different purpose. Fine. Now, keinan haytorein vegezlei olahin bene So getting back to the bird pairs. So. It says kinin, and it says gozle ola. Why are they separated? Why, what, what's the two pishkas over there about? So first of all, the, the bird pairs are talking about the more mature right doves, and the, 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 the gozle ola are the younger pigeons. Now, why are they separated? So the first part of the mission says kulan olos. All of these are going to be brought just as an ola, which is in a dova. It's not a chova. It gets entirely burned up, and, and it's all voluntary stuff. Okay, the Gemara is going to explain why. That is the Rabbi Huda. Rebbe Huda holds that it was all just voluntary olos and it was separated by young and older birds uh, for a reason, but that's why they had that, those two pushkas. So when it's talking about the Bnei Yonah, the kinin, the, 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 um, the more mature ones, it could be not only for uh, voluntary ola, but also for the obligatory chatas. That becomes very significant in the Gemara, we'll see. But not only ola, but you're going to be, it's literally just, it's its talking about mature versus young birds, but when you're talking about the kinin, it could be also referencing korbanos chatas, um, which is to say like this, just to flesh it out a little bit, no pun intended, uh, Joel Padowitz was explaining the mishnayos. that's uh first Joel Padowitz reference, uh, big big uh, Tam Chacham and Rapi Shemesh, he was explaining that, you have to understand, the name if you learn Masech's kinim, these birds are very hard to handle, right? They're flying all over the place, then you don't know what you, what you donated, what you didn't donate. So the easiest thing to do is to have like a vending machine in the base of Mikdush where you put in your money, and then later on you can take out the birds just before you need them, and then, and then bring them in for shechting. So that would be a convenient thing to do, whether the carbon you're bringing is an obligatory chatas, or a, right, man, or, or just a, um, right, an adava. But the fact of the matter is, there might be a problem with putting money in the pushka, and then just later on, taking out of the vending machine a bird. We'll see what that issue might be in the Gemara. But be that as it may, Rabbi Huda is saying that the Kenan has both the obligatory khatas and the Nadav of the Allah, and then the Ghazli Allah is Kulan Ola, so the second, um, the second pushka of the goslim is going to be all Korbanas Allah just like Rabbi Huda had said, so the difference is in the Kenan over there, okay? So uh, further on, going with the rest of the description of the pushkas, the, 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 the Mishnah goes on a, uh, what Joel Padua has called an Adarim tangent. What? It's like, really, Hilchus Nadar. What if someone says, Allah, Allah him. Someone says, I am making an adit to bring Eitzim. It's a very ambiguous term. To bring wood for the Mizbeach. So, when you make the darim, right, we have to make assumptions as to what you mean, because we are going to hold you to your word, but what did you mean? So, what the mission over here is going to be discussing is the smallest denomination that we're going to hold you to. But you did say something ambiguous, but you did say multiple etzim, and therefore we're going to hold you to a certain minimum amount uh, of, of bringing. So, if a person says, Hare alai lo yifchos mishne Gazirin. So, you have to bring at least two wooden blocks. The Gemara will discuss what the dimensions of these wooden blocks are, but that's the smallest denomination of wood, and since you said it plural, you're going to have to bring two of them. Fine. If a person says, lavona, right, that I want to bring some lavona, so then lo yifchos me Right? The comics is the fistful. That is the smallest denomination of Levona spice. Zahav, if you said, I'm going to bring um, gold, You can't bring less than the gold. You know that's the smallest denomination of gold. The Gemara will explain that that's actually, uh, if you said, like a coin. Right? If you only said gold and you didn't say that I'm going to bring a gold coin, then maybe you'd even be able to bring less than that. Fine. So now, so we say, so the Mishnah now is going to continue. The last, we did the first seven push because now let's do the last six. Shishal and dava. The last six were for Korban, right, um, for Corbett, Sibor, Nidava. The last six will really change. I'll explain what I mean in a minute. Well, let's read it inside. Nidava mehayu osinba. What are they going to do with this voluntary money? Lokimba ba olos. They would buy, they would buy olos with it. They would buy voluntary olos at the end. And they would habasar l'shem. They would, l'shem means here to Hashem. Right? The meat of such, of the said olos would go in the back and be burnt up. And thus go to Hashem. But oros to Kohanim. And they would bring the hides which stunk. They gave that to the Kohanim. And that would be fulfillment of the Pasuk. Uh, says the Mishnah, Zem Midrash Tarsh Yeho Yadah Koin Koin expanded the following pasuk. The pasuk said, Asham hu, Asham, Asham la Hashem, that when you bring an Asham, right, you should bring it to Hashem, and therefore, we. that's why the Basar is going to be burnt up, and it's going to be bring, brought to Hashem. That's a pasuk uh, in Chumash, right? In, um, and then we say, Koshu Mishum Chatas, Mishum Ashma, Ben Olus. Anything that's coming from a Chatas or an Asham. Now, what is going on? What do you mean it's coming from a Chatas and an Asham and it should be brought as an Ola? So I think this is the best uh, point to explain that what we're talking about is the following. A person, again, he wants to bring, right, a Chatas, let's say, or an Asham. This is an obligatory Korbon. So the Korbon, I don't know if you know, Andrew, but the Korbonas cost 85 bucks, okay? But he's coming in. He's Andrew Singer. He doesn't have any denomination smaller than 100 in his wallet, right? So he's coming in and he says, I'm going to give you 100. Now, they can't give you change because you were mocked this your $100 bill. They, you're not, what are you going to do with the change, right? 15 bucks isn't going to buy you any carbon, right? So you can't use it for that. And you can't just buy, right, mastic with it or falafel. You can't just go get falafel af- with it afterwards. So you have to leave it there. So basically, anytime you would, con- you know, go through a convenience, unless you wanted to schluck your own animals, you're bringing money and you knew already the basic was going to keep the change. That's what's going on here. Ah, so now these six pushkas were the six pushkas where they kept the change. And then what did they do with the change? So what they did was once Geronowitz and Barry and all of the, everyone's uh, change uh, gathered together, they would use that change to buy, uh, to, to finance Korbanos Ola that they would bring as an adava to Hashem. And then they would bring the meat, would go to Hashem, and the skins would go to the Kohanim. That was the process. Okay, that's how it worked. Okay, so now these last six pushkas are where where Beis is keeping the change. So that's what it means. It says a person who's coming to bring Korban khatas or a Korban Asham Yilakech Ben olos. That's what it means. He's coming to. He's giving the hundred dollar bill and. The change is being kept in the pushkas, and later on, they're buying all this with it. Okay. And now, just to, um uh, to explain why the meat goes to Hashem and the skids go to the Kohanim, the mission says, it's, right, it's to fulfill two, psukim over here. Well, the first one is Hashem Lashem, which we just mentioned, the which is what the Pasuk says, Hashem Hu Hashem Hashem Lashem. And then, the La But there's also a Pasuk that says that Hashem should go to the Kohanim. So, how do you reconcile? How are you going to fulfill both? So, you're going to give the meat to the Hashem and the skins to the coin. Where is that pasuk where it says Hashem, the says the mission of the Omer, Kesef, Hashem, Vechesef, Chathos, Lo yuva, Beis Hashem, La-Kohanimi, there it is, that the money from the Hashem, the Chatas, shouldn't be brought to the Beis Hashem. It should be uh, brought, it should be the Kohanim. That pasuk happens not in Vayikra as the previous pasuk. That is in Malachim Beis. Okay. Um, now, the, it, you know, I didn't give the actual pashup shot of the pasuk. The pashup shot is confusing. It makes it sound like you shouldn't bring the Keshav HaShem and kesafatars to the Beis Hashem altogether, which we know is not the case. We just said, you bring it to the base Hashem and then we keep the change. So we have already explained essentially what we mean by that pasuk melachim. What we mean is that, you don't, that is that you don't take that money to buy falafel, but rather they keep the change and the kohanim use the skins. So now we arrive at the Gemara at the bottom of the The Gemara says like this Tanya, that the collection right, for the kinim. Uh, the reason why there was a machlokas as to whether you're allowed to put the uh, any money for the khatas, right over here, it's referring to the actual chiyuv of chatos. Why did you not put any of the money for the korban that you're bechaya for in the pushka? For the following reason, says the gemara, shema tamus achas. Maybe one of the um, individuals putting money in the pushka will, will die. Well, what's the problem? The problem is v'nimsud mei misos maravas b'hen. Yeah, you have an issue here. There's a halachic problem. There's, if you if a person Puts in money for chattas. So again, if a person just comes and brings a bird directly, and or let's say they pass away holding a bird or whatever it is, so then that's their issue, right? Meaning it doesn't affect anybody else, right? It's something that's tragic, but it doesn't affect anyone else as far as what, what to do with the carbon, whatever. We'll bring it as an ola. The problem is that if you have all of everybody's money in a vending machine, and the way it works is that you, that everybody puts the money in at some point in the day, and then they go to collect their birds later. And their birds are for a, an obligatory carbon, and then one of the people that's going to collect the birds passes away, as my, um, as my mother, uh, says, um, often a slip between the cup and the lip, right? In other words, you pick up the cup, and before it goes to your mouth, you, it slips, and all, and, and all the coffee pour, pours out. So here too, right? You, you put in the money in the pushka, and then somebody didn't make it to, to, to get the bird. Well, now we have a problem because all of that money is mixed in. That owner's money, right, that person who put the money in the push their money is mixed in with the money of everyone else's um, obligatory karbonas. And now we have a problem, a lucky problem, a person who put in the money and did not get a chance to take away the bird. Now that money is mixed in and everyone's karbonas can become hustle because we don't know, right, whose money uh, we don't know where that person's money is in the general pushka and we can't use the money of a person who already passed away to pay for the birds uh, for somebody who's alive, who's bringing it. That was Rabbi as issue. That is why we have the machlokas in the Mishnah as to whether you can in fact have any korbanos chatas coming out of that pushka. That's the source of this machlokas. So the Gemara says, <laughs> But wait a minute, is this really a problem? We have a case in a brisa where the woman says the following, a woman, let's say, makes an nether. She says, I want, I'm going to bring a bird as an offering. Okay. Came, but not shofar. So she could do the usual thing, put it in the vending machine, put the money in the pushka, uh, in the shofar. Okay, so clearly you could put in for a chiv, because that's a chiv. she created a chiv by creating an obligation for her, as we turn to her chasm and beys. And then, You might remember this. She could eat kachim that evening. You might remember this because we learned it in Ereven Lambeys. We learned that this idea that she can rely, this is what the point is, we can, she can rely on the fact, right, that everything went smoothly, and that the korban was brought by the Kalhain. okay? says the says the Bryce continues. She's not Khoshesh, but maybe the coin did was lazy, he didn't bring it. In other words, in order for her to catch him that evening, right, the carbon had to have been brought. Right? And yet, she doesn't know for sure that the carbon was brought. All she did was put the money in the pushka and rely on the base of mikdash. But if the carbon had to have been brought for her to eat the chips, so how, how could you rely on it? So we sit over there in Erevan, where the, the Kohanim are, are reliable. They never leave the base of mikdash until they know that the carbon was brought. They don't They don't uh, leave over any work uh, until they're finished with their work day. Okay? So that's what it says. But, the fact that we rely on the kohana because they just never close up shop until the end, so that that's like uh, something that you could use a Khazaka, so to speak, that it's not an issue that the woman needs to to worry about, but implied in that Gemara in and implied in this, is that we're not worried that somebody died, right? In other words, this is a source that not only are we not worried that the coin didn't do its job, we're also not worried that anybody who put money in the pushka passed away because as we can see, it has a, it has a halakhic nafkamina. We're actually letting the woman eat the kachim on the assumption that everybody was able to bring the karbana's properly and, and that none, nobody's money, and we don't care that the, possibly somebody died and their money is mixed in the pushka. So how do you reconcile that with the concern of Rabbi Yehuda that, that you should not put anything in the pushka and um, for a obligatory korban hatas uh, out of concern that the money that the one of the people who put in the money is going to pass away. So the That Rabbi Yehuda is also not concerned in a situation uh, where somebody, where everybody put the money in and everybody is healthy and doing fine and passed their COVID screening because they were not concerned because it's a very, very small shot that something would happen. The case in our mission where he's talking about where he is concerned and you have to put the pushkas separately is where we know that somebody died. So if we know that, they're, they're, that the uh, owner died so then of course that's where Rabbi Yehuda is concerned that that person's money was mixed in with the, with the Pushka and it's going to ruin everyone else's Khatas. So, so, that, I'm asking, yeah, I'm Renon. so wait a minute. If, if, we, if you're concerned that, that somebody died and we know that somebody died, so then why? It, it, you could still have a recourse. You shouldn't let everybody else's money be invalid. Well, you should just just take whatever the equivalent was, in this case, four Zuzim, um, right? The Zabinaba betrays Zuzim, but it's two birds, let's say, so it's two Zuzim each, and you have four Zuzim over there. That's how much money the person gave, let's say, and just Throw it in the river, meaning get rid of that, and say, well, that that was that person's money, right? And as we know how much these carbonos cost, so let's just take out uh, a piece, of, uh, an amount of money that's the equivalent of the person who passed away. And then the rest of them are going to be mutter. So why are we concerned, right? Maybe somebody's money who passed away was mixed in and invalidated everything. Just take that money out, and then everyone else's would be valid. To which the Gemara replies, No. The whole issue of Rabbi is the classic Shas issue of Brera. Rabbi does not hold a Brera. Now, right, in other words, in, in order to take out the amount of money that's the equivalent of what the person would have brought in, retroact and retroactively, Kasha, everyone else's right barbon. you'd have to hold of the concept of Brera. The concept that retroactively we could say that this was that individual's money. But Rebuta does not hold a Brera. Rebihuda holds that you that, that literally which it's earmarked, in other words, that that uh, that the person who brought in the money that Yankel's right money that's in there is actually Yankel's money. It doesn't it doesn't change even as it's mixed in with everyone else's. And since we don't know which of these coins were Yankel's then we have to be concerned. We can't retroactively say that the ones that we took away were retroactively Yankel's It doesn't work that way, and therefore Rabbi Huda, because of that concern, it has a real halachic nafkamina in terms of the labelling of the pushkas in the base of Mikdash. Because those uh those Huda Rabbi Huda's gonna say, can only have animals that are gonna be in a dava, right? Because for the dava, we don't have an issue. In other words, even if a person dies, so it's all in the Dava anyway, it's all voluntary. So you just put it on the base of Mikdush. Nobody no no nobody has to right we're not trying to relieve anyone's obligation right the problem is only when you have a khatas so yuda says we can't have any money for the Khatas. So if a person really has an obligation to bring carbon khatas either because of ceremony of having to do with uh you know let's say it's uh, it's a or whatever it is or because somebody brought the uh, nether upon themselves if it's obligatory then we have to make sure that it is your money that's going to be used for the carbonos that's the source of shithari and because he, and because he doesn't hold up he's going to make you He's going to make sure that nobody's money goes into, right, nobody's obligatory money goes into the pushkas, right? Where and, and therefore, once it's all voluntary, then it doesn't matter, because nobody really needs to have their obligation uh, taken care of. Whereas, right, where, so that's shittas or Bihuda, whereas the other sheet in the Mishnah is because we hold up brera, it's okay, because we can just retroactively if somebody, God forbid, passes away between um, donating into the pushka and bringing their carbon, we'll simply take that money out, and everyone else's obligation will still be uh, taken care of. Fine. Okay, so two dots, six lines down. Uh, we're talking about the blocks of wood. So, Rebbe Bar mala asked the following: Would you agree? We said, if the person said him, that he brings two blocks. Would you agree that if he said eights in the singular, that you only bring one block? So, let's see: Can a person even donate a single wood block? That's the question, right? We're talking about the minimum shear. So, is, like at a certain point, it's ridiculous. What are you gonna like? If you bring a, a uh, incense, are you gonna donate a grain? Like, shouldn't there be a minimum that you could donate? So, is it meaningful to donate one block of wood? So Amar Rabbeinu Masnisa Amar came. The Mishnah says that it's okay. Why? Because she's that for the atmosphere. She's that carbon for the atmosphere. An interesting raya. We see that if one wouldn't block his sacrifice by itself. how so? We say Kiyadetan Ninan. It says like this. This is actually next Masechtahaim Yuma. It's going to be spelled out even more. Wait for Chavov Yuma. Not so far away. A person like this Kiyadetan Tamon. We learn over there in the Mishnah. Let's say you have two kahanim. They're holding two blocks of wood in their hand, right? Since each block is carried um, by a separate coin, it sounds like it's going to be each one block is going to be an independent right carbon. And for that, what would be a source? The Gemara is going to say in the pasuk because the pasuk says carbon. It says carbon. The rabbis We have right a precedent over here in Nehemia where carbon. It, where there's a wooden carbon where the word carbon is referring to wood and that is in fact considered a significant wood in itself so when you have a carbon it says wood that is actually going to be saying that one block of wood even just one if a person says ama, ama, hari, alai, eight, it's not that the minimum shear is two it's that the minimum shear is one the only reason we're making him bring two blocks if he says eight him is because he said it in the plural yeah what are the dimensions of these, blo- of these blocks um, So like like laughter laughter when you laugh you're expansive your mood lightens that's why when you have a good smile and you smile uh, we're going to get into Kahanaman's um, uh, experiment that he did when he had had students holding a pen lengthwise and widthwise. They didn't know what they were doing, but they were holding it widthwise. They were actually physically smiling, which elevated their mood and changed all of their answers on the test. So, if you smile, the world smiles with you, and your health is improved. So, an amos is a thicker, larger amos. They are expansive amos, they are As we discussed earlier, that the amos, there were some of them that were larger than others. It wasn't as regulated as we think, and even the Tfakim also. So, the width, the thickness, was the bigger amos, and their and the length was the geduma. The um, the truncated amos, the smaller. That the thickness was like a stick with, where, where the scale hangs, which is to say that even though the length um, was the Geduma, the thickness was very thin indeed. To which, right, we're talking now about uh, the length of.